we've been studying Habakkuk these um, last mornings, and, and this morning uh, we're going to be finishing up our series on this little book in the Old Testament, this prophet of God in Judah in, in about 600 BC, um, who, who uh, calls out to God and speaks to God and on behalf of his people, on behalf of the society that he sees. And, and we called this series Trusting God in, in Troubled Times. And what I want to do for you this morning is just uh, do a little bit of a recap of the last few weeks and just to remind ourselves of some of the very rich themes that we've been looking at in, in Habakkuk. And um, all of our messages are online, so you can watch them or, or listen to them on podcast and, um, and refresh your memory as well as some of these themes. And if ever you want a good overview of a book, uh, you can do a lot worse than look at the Bible Project. So if, if you look at Bible Project, and then any book of the Bible, uh, Google Bible Project Habakkuk, you will, you will see a summary video of the whole story of everything we've been covering. And they do that for every book of the Bible. It's very helpful sometimes if you're starting to read something in your Bible and, and trying to understand it and trying to understand the context of it and what on earth is being talked about, then these little videos can be really helpful. So we're going to um, be talking uh, this morning about how the righteous live by faith and we're going to be finishing up in uh, Habakkuk 3. So I'll read those verses for you first, and then we'll do, a little, we'll do a little kind of recap of Habakkuk. So Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 16 to 19. This is um, Habakkuk speaking. It's his prayer. And he, he says this. He said, I heard, and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go on the heights for the director of music on my stringed instruments. It's a great end to this prayer, this prophecy of Habakkuk. It's a well-known passage great piece of poetry, and then uh, Habakkuk ending up praising God. Over the last few weeks, we've thought about this story, this, this story that we find in the Old Testament. And in week one, as we started to look at Habakkuk and his complaint towards God, we considered the wrestling of faith. We thought about the fact that faith sometimes wrestles with God, if we're honest, that there are times of struggle, there are times of not knowing, not understanding, and that's where Habakkuk found himself as he looked on at society and as he looked at the threats that were surrounding Judah at that time, he asked some big questions of God. How long, God, is this going to go on? And why is this happening? And why do you seem to be silent? And we talked about the wrestling of faith. We talked about the response of faith. 
And the fact that um, Habakkuk came to God with bold and honest prayer, combined ultimately with worship, even in that first chapter, even as Habakkuk is complaining to God and saying, how can you tolerate evil? How can you stay silent, God? Even then, Habakkuk is still saying and coming back to the place, are you not the God from everlasting? Are you not my God, the Holy One? Are you not my rock? And he comes to a place of worship. We reminded ourselves of Psalm 73 where the psalmist looks at the wicked who seem to be prospering and he does not seem to be prospering as a God follower, as a God, somebody who loves God. And he says, I, I, would, have, um, I would have lost hope and I almost gave up. I almost threw in the towel. I thought, what's the point? Until I went into the sanctuary of God, until I started to worship God again, until I turned my eyes heavenward. And we We talked about a response of faith. There is a wrestling sometimes in faith, in our faith life, in troubled times. There's a wrestling, and it's good to be honest about that. But there's a response of faith that Habakkuk brings. And he said, ultimately, I will stand. I will stand on the ramparts. And we talked about the standing man, that even though we get knocked down sometimes, that we stand again. And then we talked about the reason for our faith. And we looked forward, we traced forward the story of Habakkuk because God said, I'm going to do something in your day, Habakkuk. You wouldn't understand it even if I told you. And, and then we fast forwarded right through the story of the Bible, right through to the dispersed Jews who'd been taken into exile and dispersed and set up synagogues all around. And then Paul is stood in Acts chapter 13 and he's preaching Jesus Christ, the Savior, and redemption through him. And, he's, and he references right back to Habakkuk, Habakkuk 1.5 and what God is going to do and his plan of salvation. And we've seen, whether, whether we've looked at Revelation or whether we've looked at Habakkuk, that even though we can't always see what God is doing, that God has an ultimate plan. And we know, ultimately, that the plan of God is one of salvation and redemption. So we talked that first week about wrestling. We talked about response. We talked about the reason for faith. But then we talked about waiting on God in chapter 2. And God comes and he gives, um, he gives Habakkuk a vision. And he says, this vision is of the future, Habakkuk. So write it down on tablets. It's very important. And I want you to remember it. And I want you to share it with the people so they can remember it. And there is a time where Habakkuk is waiting on God. We talked about being patient in our waiting. Though it seems slow in coming, wait patiently, God said uh, to Habakkuk. We talked about gaining perspective and how he went up to the tower. I will stand on the rampart, Habakkuk said. I will look out. I will get a different perspective. We talked about the perspective of Romans where where Paul says in Romans, uh, he uses this word logitomai, which is um, where we get logic from, to reckon. And in in Romans chapter 8, Paul says, I reckon, I, I have thought about this. And though I look at my present sufferings, I reckon that they are nothing when I put them on the scales. They are nothing compared with the glory of God that is coming our way, that is coming down the line. And we talked about gaining perspective sometimes in our troubles and in our difficult times and having faith and trusting God in troubled times that we gain a different perspective, which is we reminded ourselves again of Revelation and how how they gained a different perspective as John pulled back the curtains on heaven and said, we may be suffering now under Roman oppression, but there is an end to this struggle and there is a victory ahead and there is a a supper of the Lamb and there is a victorious 
one who is on the throne. And, and we talked about changing our perspective, staying at our post, where Habakkuk says, I will station myself on the ramparts. I will stand at my watch. And uh, we gave that little emphasis on, on a sentry standing God, and though I may not feel it, and though I may not want to be here, and though I may not be getting anything out of it, in all of this, Habakkuk says, I will stand, I will stay at my watch, I will stay at my post, and I will hold on to God's promises. And the promises of God in all of this, yes, the Babylonians are coming, yes, trouble lies ahead, but in all of this, you will not die, we will not die, and we will not perish, and the just shall live by faith, the righteous shall live by faith. In week three, we moved on and we looked at Habakkuk chapter two, verses five to 20. And Habakkuk's complaint to God was, how can you use these stinking Babylonians, these wicked pagan Babylonians who are worse than us? Yeah, the Judeans, we may have lost our way, God. The Israelites, we may have disobeyed you, but how can you use the Babylonians to bring judgment and justice upon your people? And what God does is he... Um, he turns it around and he says what is going to happen to the Babylonians, how he will punish them. We talked about the predicament that we face and the problem of sin. We talked about idolatry and pride and that, that, that the problem of the human heart, the heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart and that the line of evil does not go between political parties or between people, we ask who is to blame for the mess we find ourselves in, but the predicament is the sin that we have in our own lives. And we talked about the punishment that we deserve, um, the, the woes of, of uh, chapter 2, the, the, the woes of God, the, the cup of wrath that was coming to the Babylonians and uh, is in the right hand of God. And we talked about the search for glory and yet we end up living in shame. And we talked about the great reversal that has taken place, that instead of the cup of wrath, God has given us the cup of his mercy and forgiveness that he offered us at the cross, that Jesus drank the cup of wrath that should have been ours, and he gave us another cup, which he gave us when he died, and said, this is the cup of a new covenant. He also took our brokenness, and he was broken for us. He said, this is my body broken for you. We thought about the current news stories of Philip Schofield and the fact that I am broken and ashamed were his words and how Jesus has taken that brokenness and that shame upon himself. He scorned that shame on the cross and instead he offered us his glory and he offered us his forgiveness and he offered us another cup. God made a provision uh, for us Though we deserved punishment, God made a provision for us and he made a way for us and he made promises to us as well. And we ended that look at Habakkuk in the promises we hold on to that the whole of the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. And God is in his temple, let all the earth be silent. And so we, we followed Habakkuk throughout this story and his wrestling with God and his praying and his and his uh, talking to God and his, his problem with God's actions, but ultimately God's promise, I'm going to do something in your day, Habakkuk, that you wouldn't believe even if it were told you. And then Habakkuk, what he does in the rest of chapter 2 and into, verse, into chapter 3 is he remembers. 
He remembers God who is mighty, and, and he looked back at, at the God of the Exodus, and he looked back at what God had done in the past, and he looked back at the people that had been oppressed and in exile before, and he said, God, you, you delivered them. You delivered them from the oppression of Pharaoh. You delivered our ancestors, um, and you delivered them through Moses, through the Exodus, and you brought them out, and God, I have heard of your deeds. I stand in awe of what you've done in the past. But God, would you do it again in our day? Would you renew it again in our day? He remembered how mighty God is and all this poetic language of the Exodus and the storming seas and the split rivers and, and the lightning rod of God. And he said, God, you're a mighty God. I know you're God. It's the song we sang this morning. You are the God of uh, David. You're the God that helped David s- s- uh, slay Goliath. You're the God that was in the past. And God, I know that you're still our God today. So God, we remember that you are mighty. We talked about the power of remembering in various ways that we can do that. But he also relied on a God who is merciful. God, in, in these days of trembling, in, in your wrath, remember mercy. Remember, God, that you're a merciful God. And though judgment is coming down the line, and though punishment is our desert, God, I pray that in all of this, you would remember mercy, that you would be merciful to us. Kyrie eleison, Lord, have mercy on us. And we, and we said that this is not an exception to the rule with God. This is who God is. He is a merciful God. He is merciful and mighty. And Jesus is the greater Moses that came and brought us an exodus out of our sins and troubles. So I want to bring us up then to the final section of Habakkuk, as we've, as we've surveyed this, this book and this story, Habakkuk is a man like, like us, a person like us, who struggles in his faith, who calls out to God, who trusts God in troubled times. But the emphasis that he laid in all of this is that the righteous shall live by faith. And that became a key verse that was picked up again in the Bible in Romans and in Galatians and in Hebrews. It was the key verse for Luther in the Reformation. The just, the righteous shall live by faith. But what does that look like? What, would, what does it look like to live by faith? To, to trust God in troubled times? I think we can get faith all wrong at times. Does it mean that we are always wealthy, that we are always healthy, and that we always have good times? We think sometimes that faith is the absence of fear or it's the absence of doubt, and I don't believe it's either of those. We think it leads always to positive outcomes or happy times, and I don't think that's true either. What does it look like to actually live by faith? The righteous shall live by faith. I think four things, and I've just, these are very short, I'm not, I'm not going to preach long Um, But I think that the kind of faith that the righteous live by is, first of all, I think it's searingly honest. Secondly, I think it's tenaciously patient. Thirdly, I think it's exuberantly joyful. And fourthly, I think it's unshakably strong. And I think that we can all of us know all of these things. If we look at the passage we just read in uh, chapter 3, verse 16 onwards, What is Habakkuk's response as he stands on the ramparts, as he looks down the line of history, as he sees the Babylonians gathering like storm clouds around them? Um, He knows what is coming. He knows what the Babylons do to people. He knows how 
awful they are. We, I've been reading stories this week about the war in Ukraine. I've been reading about some of the terrible things that have been done to prisoners that have been captured, some of the horrific kind of barbarism that's going on, that ongoing war that's slipped in many ways out of our news feeds, but is still ongoing. I watched a, a program, a documentary of, of the young men of Ukraine that were coming to be trained by the British Army, and uh, they were hairdressers, and they were graphic designers. They were young men, 18 years old, 19 years old. And for, the, for them, as they were training in the forests of Great Britain somewhere by the British Army, it wasn't theoretical warfare for them. They were going back to face the war, to, to put their lives on, on the line, uh, to, to defend their country. And the fear, and, and watching this program of, of these normal young guys, as young as many of our young people, 17, 18, 19, um, preparing for war, going off to face death and, the, and, the, and their own mortality. You look at um, Habakkuk, and you look at him facing what he knows is coming, and he knows what God has said, and his response is searingly honest. He says in verse 16, he says, I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones. My legs trembled. I, he's, um, my bowels were moved, it says in the original. He is utterly terrified. He is searingly honest before God. He expresses his fear to God. And that's okay. Have you ever been really, really afraid? <laughs> I, I, went, I went out on a retreat once, and I was staying in the middle of the countryside. I was by myself in this little kind of hermit's hut, and it had a mezzanine floor with a spiral staircase. And I was lying in bed at night. It was dark. It was in the middle of nowhere. And there was this metal staircase. And I, I could have sworn I heard footsteps downstairs. I just heard these footsteps. And then, as I'm lying in bed, I thought that I could hear footsteps coming up the spiral staircase. And I was absolutely terrified. <laughs> I lay in bed. I was cold. I just went cold. It's like, somebody is coming up the stairs. And I, I turned the light on, and I looked down. And uh, there was nobody there, but just a moment of pure fear. It's like, but if ever you faced real fear, uh, Tim Keller, I was watching an interview with him this week. He died recently. And um, he was speaking of, his, um, of the cancer that he had and facing his own mortality. And he was a minister of 40-odd years plus. He said, I've accompanied many people into and through death. I've, I've, um, I've written books on, on suffering and walking through suffering. But he, he talked about something that others in our church family have talked about, the scanxiety of waiting for the next scan and waiting to see what's happening with his body. And, and he said, also, we deny death so much in our lives. We, we know we're going to die, but we deny it. We deny it, we put it down, we oppress it, we don't want to think about it. But he said, I... For the first time, I faced my own mortality. Fear, genuine fear and genuine anxiety, times of great anxiety. And he said, in those times, I, I, turned to, to the, I turned to prayer and I turned to the Psalms and the honesty of the Psalms. Searingly honest. If you read the Psalms, they are searingly honest. Confront the brutal facts was one of the lines from Jim Collins' book, 
And what, um, what Habakkuk is looking at is complete and utter economic devastation. A, war, a war-torn country. Um, verse 17 onwards, though the fig tree does not bud, there are no grapes on the vines, the olive crop fails, the fields produce no food, there's no sheep in the pen, there are no cattle in the stalls. It's, it's for an agrarian society, figs, grapes, olives, grain, sheep, cattle, it's utter economic devastation that he's looking at. It's a portfolio that's wiped out. It's bankruptcy. It's someone who's being searingly honest before God. And we can be that, and we can be people who live by faith. God, I am struggling to forgive this person. God, I am suffering from anxiety and depression. Life is extremely tough at the moment. God, I am feeling great loss. God, the bereavement, it is deeply, viscerally painful every day of my life. God, there are times of trembling. There are times of fear. And Habakkuk has shown us, if it's shown us anything, that the just shall live by faith does not mean that everything is always okay. It does not mean that all turns out well, that there's always a happy ending, although that ultimately is in God when we look down the line. But it is searingly honest. If you look at the list of those that stood by faith in Hebrews 11, they are people that were sawn in half. They were people that died for their faith. They were people that suffered greatly, that didn't see ultimately the outcome of that for which they believed. And yet they lived by faith and they died by faith. And even as I watched Tim Keller preparing for death in these interviews and watched those last moments and read what he wrote and listened to what he said, it was weeping and it was sorrow, but it was also great joy and great, a great death in that sense. It's, living by faith means being searing, searingly honest. And it's not, a, it's not an empty triumphalism. And it's not a, a wealth and health gospel. It is much deeper than that. Living by faith is searingly honest, but it's tenaciously patient. Once again, Habakkuk says here, I, I heard, my heart pounded, my lips quivered, Decay crept into my bones, my legs trembled, yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. I'm waiting, God, to see what you said would happen. And this is what God already said to him. He said, this vision, Habakkuk, is for a future time. It describes the end. It will be fulfilled. And if it seems slow in coming, wait patiently, for it will surely take place. It will not be delayed. And so Habakkuk responds in 3.16, I will wait patiently to see what God is going to do. He said he was going to act. He said he would deal with the Babylonians. I believe what he said. And though I can't see it yet, I will wait patiently for the Lord. We reflected in previous weeks on the fact that patience 
involves two deliberate acts. It's a deliberate act of humility because it acknowledges that we do not know what will happen tomorrow. We cannot plan our futures. Things happen to us that we cannot plan or cannot understand. And we think sometimes, I want A, B, and C to happen, and I'm planning for D to happen. And, and, but what James tells us in James 4 is, now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city or we'll spend a year there or we'll carry on business, we'll make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's we will, we will live and we will do this and we will do that. Patience is a deliberate act of humility. It's a deliberate submission to God and his will. But it is also a deliberate submission to the experience of personal growth. Because the Bible tells us again and again and again that times of patient waiting can represent an opportunity for us to grow tremendously in God. And whenever you listen to the testimony of those that walk through the valley of the shadow of death, this is often what happens to them. Through disappointments, through trouble, they are an opportunity for us to grow and become more of what God wants us to be. Consider it pure joy, James says, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking any good thing. Don't try and get out of things prematurely, the message version says. Let God do his work so that you may become mature and well-developed. Patience builds our character. It brings maturity. So there are two deliberate acts. There's a deliberate act of humility and a deliberate submission to personal growth that happens when we wait patiently on God. And Job 23, he says, God knows what he's doing and I don't. And that's patience. And when he has tested me, I shall come forth as God. I will wait patiently. Faith waits patiently. Living by faith waits patiently. But, but living, the just living by faith is also exuberantly joyful. In chapter, in chapter 3, verse 18, in all of this, the fig tree is not budding. The grapes are not on the vines. The olive crop has failed. The fields have no food in them. The sheep are not in the pen. There is no cattle. Yet, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Savior. There's an exuberant joy to Habakkuk, which doesn't fit the circumstances. Economic devastation, war, exile, and, if, and, and sometimes, because this is such a beautiful piece of poetry, and, and Dave can quote it off by heart. I've heard him quote it many times over the years. And, and it sounds beautiful. Though, are, though, though the fig tree does not burden, there are no grapes in, in the vine, on the vine. And it's a beautiful piece of almost Shakespearean poetry. It sounds lovely. And we can almost skate over the kind of the, the terrible nature of Circumstances. If you read Lamentations chapter 2, which is written by Jeremiah, who's a contemporary of Habakkuk, and who experienced the sacking of Jerusalem by the Babylonians. And if you read just excerpts of, of Lamentations 2, you will see mothers eating their children from starvation. You will see children slain in the streets. You will see the priests 
blood uh, running down the streets of Jerusalem. And um, Jeremiah laments and says, Jerusalem, you were once called a beautiful, holy city, and now look at you. There's utter devastation all around. And sometimes I I think the distance of time and... and, um, we, we don't necessarily get the, the horror, the horror of these verses. It's poetic, it sounds nice, but if you read really what happened to these people, it's utterly, utterly awful and terrible. And yet, and yet, Habakkuk can say, and yet, I will rejoice. I will rejoice in God, my Savior, in the middle of desperate circumstances, the struggles you've got with your son, the difficulties you've got with your daughter, the, the mental health battles that seem to go on forever, the, the, the terrible job prospects, the, the economic squeeze, whatever you're facing, the bereavement, the, the ache, and yet I will rejoice in God my Savior. I will rejoice even though all of this stuff is happening, it's the same emotion that Job speaks out, and and Habakkuk is called the mini-Job, when he says, even if God slays me, I will trust him. I might have lost my family, I might have lost my home, I might have lost my finances, and yet I will trust God. I will rejoice in God, my Savior. When everything is stripped away, the grapes, the figs, the grain, the cattle, when the Babylonians have taken everything, they cannot take away God. They cannot take away his Savior. They cannot separate Habakkuk from his God. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. Firm through the fiercest drought and storm. There is no power of hell. There is no scheme of man that can ever pluck me from his hand. Till he returns or he calls me home, here in the power of Christ I will stand. And yet, I will rejoice in God my Savior. There is nothing that can separate me from God. The location of his joy is in God his Savior. You are safe there. You are secure there. There is joy there. In times of death and famine, I can still be joyful in the Lord. Alan Gardner was a a trained naval officer. He was a missionary Um, back in the 19th century, and he took a team to South America. And he was shipwrecked just off the tip of South America, and he ended up on a tiny island um, just below South America. And one by one, his missionary party began to die of starvation. One by one, they died. The whole group of them died, until, until Alan Gardner was the only one left. And after... Words, they found his journal. And the last verse that he wrote in his journal was from Psalm 34, verse 10, which says, The lions may grow weak and hungry, 
but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. And the very last line in his journal before he died was, I am overwhelmed with a sense of the goodness of God. It's a mystery to us, really. (laughs) But it is the goodness of God, the joy of the Lord, in the middle of extreme circumstances, that we can connect like Habakkuk to the goodness of God, even though yet I will rejoice in God my Savior. Exuberant joy comes to the one who lives by faith, even in the most trying of circumstances. And finally, just living by faith is is living in a way that is unshakably strong. Look at verse 19. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer, hinds feet on high places. He enables me to go on the heights for the directive music on my stringed instruments. If you look and contrast verse 16, my legs trembled. (laughs) I was feeling pretty shaky. But the sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go on the heights. This is the divine enabling, God giving us strength. Psalm 23, familiar to many of us, The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He renews my strength. And he guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. Isaiah 40 says, he gives power to the weak. He gives strength to the powerless. Even youths grow tired and weary. Young men will stumble and fall in exhaustion, but those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. He gives strength. He helps those who are stumbling and falling. And Philippians 4 verse 13, I am strong enough for all things in the one who keeps on giving me strength. He keeps on giving me strength. I am strong enough through the one who keeps on giving me strength. The sovereign Lord is my strength. That's what Habakkuk says. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go on the heights. This is what living by faith looks like. This is what trusting God in troubled times looks like. Times might be difficult, but the righteous will live by faith, there will, they will be searingly honest. They will be tenaciously patient. They will be exuberantly joyful. And they will be unshakably strong. I'm going to pray for you as we finish our series on Habakkuk. On living by faith. And we find in Habakkuk a friend, a compatriot. Someone who's not afraid to complain to God, not afraid to ask the big questions of God. And yet he ends this prophecy, this book, in a great time of celebration, yet I. And we can do the same. Let me pray for you. Amy reminded us in Donna of a God who protects us, a God who cares for us, who teaches us, 
who watches over us, who is the ultimate father. And you can trust in him today and place your hand in his. Are you facing loss of some description? Bereavement? Are you suffering troubled times? Economic hardship? You can trust in God. He is a God who is mighty and he is a God who is merciful. And what he has done in the past, he will do again. He will renew his acts and his deeds in our day. So God, as we sit today in your presence, we give you, Lord, our complaints, our concerns, our anxieties, our fears. We are honest before you, God. And Lord, we pray that you will give us your mercy, your protection, your love, that you will pour it out upon us, Heavenly Father. I pray, God, that we, like Habakkuk, can stand and can look sometimes into devastating circumstances and we can say, by the strength of God, we can say, and yet I will rejoice in God, my Savior. You give me strength, God, You take me up onto the high places. You give me the feet of a deer. You enable me to walk. You strengthen my feeble knees, my trembling legs. So God, I pray for that endowment of hope and power and strength that we find through this story of Habakkuk. And God, we will trust you even and especially through troubled times. In Jesus' name, amen.